verses in Matthew 12, because we're going right through the Bible there. So Matthew 12, page, I want to say 689, I think, in the Blue Bibles. Is that right? I got it right one time. That's pretty good. It's only been like three months. So page 689 in the Blue Bible, in the White Bible, I want to say maybe page 12 or 13. And the title of the message is Choices. Now when we read the passage... You're not going to think like, what? How are choices in here? It doesn't, seems like he's just making it up. Maybe Jared just does not have a lot of stuff to work with, and so he made something up. I try not to do that. I try and stay to the text so it's accurate, so we can pull some stuff out of it. And this is one of the situations uh, in this text where context really matters. It's kind of hidden. So unless you dig a little bit like we're going to dig, uh, I don't think that you find it. You might read over it. But I wanted to start uh, with this. Um, I want to start with little baby Jaren. And uh, I wanted to uh, share with you a little bit about his uh, personality and demeanor. Now, I know that all little young ones are probably very focused on what they want, right? They're all very focused on what they want. And uh, Jaren, having two pretty stubborn, kind of hard-headed parents... And me and Julie, and I would say that because she would admit to it, right? I don't, that's the only reason why I say that. But we both are very focused, kind of stubborn, kind of driven. And so we also like to think that maybe he's even more focused and determined and driven than maybe other little ones. Because we're his parents. So he could be playing with his favorite toy. One of his favorite toys that we have on the porch is, uh, I don't know, it's, it's maybe only a couple feet high, has all these cool lights, he puts stuff in places, he's got blocks and he throws them and just, he goes nuts on that thing. Favorite thing to do. There's one thing that he likes even more than that, than anything else, that will change the dynamics of a room, no matter what he's into. He could be grabbing cords, which he loves. Uh, he could be digging through bags and pulling stuff out, which he loves to do. But as soon as this product comes in the room, he drops everything. All focus, all attention is on it. And it doesn't even matter if he can't see it. If he hears it, he knows. And you'll see him come crawling out of the room, completely locked in. And so that product... This product right here. Baby Mumums. This thing has changed him radically. He, we started feeding there just little rice, really kind of, almost kind of like rice cakes, but just kind of toned down a little bit for babies. And he loves these things. And as soon as he sees the... If he saw his picture right now, he'd probably be like, nom, 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 nom. He would just do that. He's just totally into these things. He sees the wrapper, just has his attention. He's locked in. He's focused on it. And uh, a term that I have that I use quite a bit, which you've probably heard before, for that sort of attention where you're just really locked into something. Um, and I don't know if you're the type of person where you're easily distracted or not, or if you're really focused, but there's probably something out there that just kind of locks you in. Um, I call it tunnel vision. That just works for me. Tunnel vision. And we got a couple pictures on here. Um, a hedgehog tried to get buried in too deep into that uh, paper towel roll and got his head stuck in there. And so that's why he's stuck in there. Um, but then the other view, you see, right, the tunnel, the pipe there, and it just gets rid of all of the other peripherals, right? You just look down that tube and that's all you got. That's just all you see is just what's in front of you. And then there's a barrier that blocks off everything else. 
Jesus does an excellent job with having this type of tunnel vision for the will, for the plans, for the future of what God might have for him. Amazing ability to do that. And if we're called, and if we're Christians, and we believe in Jesus, we also want to have that same similar type desire, tunnel vision on what God might have for us. What it might look like, what his plans might be, what his will might be. And so we're going to look a little bit uh, at that this morning and kind of talk about that a little bit. And what does that mean? What happens when you have tunnel vision like that? And then what happens if maybe that barrier breaks and then the light comes in and you see the trees and you see these other things and then you get distracted? What does that look like? And God, of course, is not asking us to be perfect with this as Jesus was. I mean, he really never messed a beat. I wouldn't really know what that's like. I mean, you know, give me 10 minutes. I can get distracted, especially if it looks very interesting, right? But we have to learn and train ourselves almost in a quote-unquote mum-mum way to be locked and focused on what God has for us. And Satan knows that. And he doesn't want us to do that. And he's, in fact, an expert at getting us away from that tunnel vision and flooding us with all kinds of other things to distract us. So we're going to take a look at some of that this morning. And really, we're going to look at two things. I think I put them up there and also help in your bulletin. Um, Two things there. Uh, Our need for supreme and sovereign rule of the Word in our lives. So that's one thing we're going to look at. Our need, my need, your need, for supreme and sovereign rule of the Word in our lives. Sounds kind of extreme, but we'll talk about that and kind of break it down. And then secondly, we're going to look at the nature of Jesus. And we're going to see how all this kind of fits together. Alright? So, Matthew uh, chapter 12. We're going to be in verse 15. And uh, here's what it says. It says, Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here's my, su- here's my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Till he leads justice to victory, in his name the nations will put their hope. So, where does this tunnel vision and this laser type focus on God's plan, where does that fall into this? It just seems like here Jesus took off from a place. As he did, people were around. He healed them. And that was to fulfill what was already written in the Bible before. And that's why Jesus did it. So what is going on? Well, last week, which of course, um, you know, we record. And if you missed anything, of course it's online from last week. But last week, we talked about Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath. And how these religious leaders would follow him around. And looking for ways to catch him and trap him. Because Jesus had a message they've never heard before. And he lived it in a way they've never seen before. That's what catches people. And that's what caught the people. And he had this power. And uh, he demonstrated it. And 
love was like at the root of it. It wasn't to be a hypocrite and um, to exalt himself and make other people feel worse. This was totally different life, totally different Christian living. And the last straw for the religious leaders was Jesus doing a miracle on the Sabbath. Which is like craziness. That was the last straw for them. And so we talked about that last week. And so we pick up in verse 15 and it says, Jesus aware. What was he aware of? Well, he was aware in verse 14 that the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill him. So he caught wind of this. And he said, oh, they're trying to kill me. So Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from that place... Many followed him, healed their sick, and right, and then so on is what we read. So what I want to do is I want to plug us into the story a little bit. That's always helpful when we read through the Bible. Context. What is going on here? If we are Jesus and we're in that place, he leaves heavens, right? So we're in heaven, this perfect environment, this perfect place. And we leave knowing that there's a mission to do. There's a mission. I, I have to leave. There's a mission. I have to go to this other place. I have to live this life. I have to tell them about it and live it. And then I've got to sacrifice myself. That's the mission. For the sake of sin. So that way, those people can come be with me and my Father in heaven forever. That's the mission. Jesus comes on earth. Starts this mission. Starts this plan. He's talking about it. Sermon on the Mount. Matthew uh, chapter 5, 6, and 7. Starts living it out. Healing people. Raising people from the dead. Amazing life. And now, he has really done so much good uh, that they can't take it anymore and they want to kill him. Now, if I put myself in Jesus' shoes, I might be a little tempted to think, this is it. This is the time for me to now die and pay that penalty that I was supposed to come down here and do. Right? Or in other words, he was supposed to leave from heaven, come here, do this plan, die, raise from the dead, and we live in Jesus forever. Maybe this is that time. Right? Maybe this is that time he's supposed to die because now they're conspiring to kill him. This is part of the plan anyways, and he's been doing it. Maybe this is it. So to me, right there, I see temptation. Or I see maybe a struggle. There's a choice. Is this that time I'm supposed to like pay with my life, that sacrifice? Or am I supposed to do it later? Is there like another time? It's almost like if God were to tell us, hey listen, you're going to win the lotto at some point. You're going to win at some point. But listen, I don't want you buying a bunch of lot of tickets and wasting our money and doing that. But, you do have to buy one. And that one time that you do buy it, you will win. You will. And so now, like, if you're anything like me, you'd probably have some laser vision, tunnel vision on when am I going to buy that ticket? When? And of course, Satan knows that. And he's doing everything he can to try and get you to buy a ticket at the wrong time. And he'll maybe even choose good days. It's a day where maybe you picked up a job. Maybe things are going well in the family. Maybe even God healed a friend or family member. It just seems like a perfect day for God to do this. But if it's the wrong time, it's the wrong time. 
can't do it. You want to enter into that. It might be too late or the other side is it might be premature. So there I see a choice. I see a struggle. And so if Jesus is human like we were, which he was, right? God incarnate. There's a choice there that he had to deal with. And he had to say either, yes, this is the time or no, I actually got to leave this situation. My time will be coming soon. That's a pretty tough call, especially with the weight that he had to carry and what the implications of what he was going to do. So it's not necessarily like right there, we read off the page, but if we know the whole story of what's involved, it's pretty interesting. So the question, of course, that I would ask is, how did he know if it was the right time or not? How did he know? Because I want to copy that. Because I need that in my life. A lot. So I want to know, how did he do that? Well, certainly, one thing that he did, his way of life, was that he had sovereign and supreme placage of the word in his life. Or in other words, he held what God said, sovereign and supreme in his life. Like that was his tunnel that barriered everything else out. What is God saying? What is he doing? Where is he going? Where is he leading? Like that was goal number one. Not necessarily how he felt. Not necessarily how comfortable he was. Not necessarily how happy he might get. Not necessarily how much pleasure he might receive. What is God doing? Where is he going? What's he leading? That was his tunnel vision. Now that was his tunnel that he was focused in. There's a word uh, in the Bible that we used early on in one of the points that we talked about. It said the Word had a sovereign and supreme place in his life. The Word. The Word, the Word, the Word. Now, we have a slide up here as far as what word exactly um, are we talking about. It'll come up. But what word are we talking about? Is it like me and like someone else talking? Is it like the words on the paper, like God just, you know, has a piece of scripture and a passage just kind of pop out? What is going on here? How exactly does that work? Because the answer to that will really help us out. That'll help us figure out exactly what this word is we should be plugging into to help us with our decision-making processes and our choices that we might have. So like we see, Jesus was able to determine the proper and correct time for his work according to the word. His timing, his choices was according to the word. So again, what is the word? So maybe we got that slide now next. Right? So the word, it's not a word document, right? Like we talk about now. And then word, like in the 80s, like that was something that was cool that you said. Word, right? Nobody says that now, but word. And you got like a pretty down cat, you know, with the hat on. But word, 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 word. Now, this is the reason why I kind of had you thumb or just put a piece of paper at those other verses. There's actually, in the Bible, believe it or not, three types of words that describe this word that we're talking about, that Jesus like had tunnel vision on, that guided everything else in his life, that created balance. Everything else in his life is around this word. There's three words for it. Because the Bible, not written in English, right? written in Aramaic and Hebrew and in Greek. And so the words are actually different. And there's a lot of significance there. Three words. 
First word is graphe. Second word, logos. And we're not going to get really deep into this. But I just want to just expose you to it just to let you know where we're coming from and what's going on. So the first, first word is graphe. Second word is logos. Third word, rhema. And I just put the passages there just so that you could see where in the Bible is each of the terms used. Because when you see word listed in Matthew, it's that word in English is still said word, but in Hebrew it actually means logos. And then in Ephesians it actually means rhema. So what the heck are we talking about? Well, the first part, graphe, is the word. That's just like the book. The letters, you know, everything that's in here, the words on the page, it's just a physical book. So maybe you came in to church with the Bible, maybe you didn't, right? Maybe there's one on the pew. Um, that's graphe, that's the word. And some people try and treat it like it's like, a, you know, lucky rabbit's foot and try and carry it around. Or graphe, you know, some people try and put, um, you know, crosses in their cars and they think that by the graphe, this is doing it for them right here. As long as I got this thing by me, it's in my room, it's on my coffee table, I have graphe, that's it. I'm good. I'm in good shape. God's got me. Like, not really the whole story. Graphe is just the physical, you could touch it part. That's really it. Most times the Bible refers to scriptures, just the actual scriptures. Logos. Logos. That is really the message of what is being said. So what is the message that's actually being said? And so that Hebrews passage, Hebrews 4.12, it says the word. The message that's in here is sharper than any double-edged sword. What? Dividing soul and spirit, judging the heart, thoughts, and attitude of men. I mean, that's craziness. How does it do that? But it says that the message in this does that. So a different word, right? Logos. It's amazing. And then rhema. Here's a very interesting one. You know, the kids downstairs, the Sunday school kids, they just finished up um, going through the armor of God. About five weeks where they did the armor, they created projects, they did the belt of truth, they did the shoes of peace, helmet of salvation, right? They did all that stuff and they created it all and talked about it. It's pretty awesome stuff. That's where... Linda got the idea, and it was all kind of birthed from Ephesians 6, the armor of God. And it says, uh, the word is really the sword, really the only offensive weapon. That's it, in the whole arsenal. That's it, is the word right there. And that word that's used is rhema. And that's the part, that's the word that actually refers to almost hearing God audibly. Or like that voice that you hear inside, maybe when you're silent in prayer, or during a worship service, or wherever it might be, but you're like, I don't think that's from me. That's coming from somewhere else. I wouldn't just think that on my own. Where is that coming from? What is that? That's like a rhema type word, rhema type moment. And so what Jesus is saying, he has the word in supreme and sovereign place in his life. He's got this. That's basic. He's got that part. He's got the scriptures down. Logos, the message. Now, sometimes right, we can kind of struggle with that. What's being said? How does it work? Is it that interpretation? Is it that interpretation? You know, what is that? And that's why we have to plug in and listen and hear what, you know, pastors and messages are being said and see if things are accurate. And then the rhema, that one's really important. Because that one happens in the one-on-one -on -one quiet moments with God that we got to have. It's going to be very difficult to have that tunnel vision and have no personal rhema going on for me. 
if I'm just getting it maybe secondhand from maybe from somebody else. And sometimes a lot of people live the Christian life that way, where they get a lot of secondhand type rhema, where they listen to maybe a pastor or message a lot from very gifted individuals. And it's amazing, you know, what they talk about, what they say. But they never actually experienced the rhema moment for like, okay, God, I heard so-and-so say that I have to like start doing this or I should be thinking about this or going somewhere with that. Show me what that means and what that looks like. How does that come into my life? Like, how do I carry that through as a woman? Or how do I carry that through as a man? Or where does that fit in as far as me parenting? And how do I factor that into how I make a decision of where I'm going to spend this money? That's rhema moments, rhema word. And God held that in supreme, sovereign place. And if I was Satan, and what he does is he just distracts. Get rid of that rhema moment. We don't hear that. In fact, you know, we'll give him a whole bunch of graphes and make him think it's like worth a lot and really going to save him and help him. Well, if they have one, and you know, in America it's pretty common, well, you know what, we'll just cloud it all up and make it confusing. We'll just, you know, mess up that logos part. And if that Christian even even pushing hard past that, trying to figure out the message, well, geez, I'm just going to distract them like crazy. Never give them any free time and give them every justification in the world to not get that rhema time. Whatever it takes, that's what Satan's going to try and do with us. But Jesus held that in sovereign and supreme place in his life. Whatever it takes to get it. And many times you read in the Bible where he would just be consumed with busy, long days, lots of people. I mean, that's draining. Emotionally charged. He's got enemies coming after him. And many times, he would just unplug, just remove himself, get away from the crowds. Sometimes be up all night praying with God. I'm not saying that we have to stay up all night, but if God is moving our hearts to do it, then we should do it. But he needed to do that to get that Rama word, tunnel vision time with God. Because then when it comes down to this, do I die now or do I now later? Like, we don't want to do this thing again. There really isn't like a second act we want to do here. That's not going to be a good look for God if this has to happen. Oh, I messed that timing up. Like, let's do this again. No, you know? So he knew based on that word. All three working together. So how does his nature fit into this stuff? The nature. Well, since it's not his time, what's he going to do? What he's going to do is he's going to be faithful with who he is. That's what he's going to do. And that's what we're called to do. If it's not necessarily our time to make that big move or big decision or we're in limbo. Should I be doing this? Should I be going there? Is this wise? Is it not? And you're just not really feeling one way or the other. It's not that clear. I mean, sometimes it's just... Not that clear, you know? Um, somebody had, like, a job offer in Atlanta and in Boston, you know, and say families, you know, weren't around, and they're both good jobs, and they pay about the same, and the benefits are about the same. Like, which one do you pick? You know, it, who knows? Like, you need that time, you know, but in the, to get that Raymond moment and have the Word be working together, but in the meantime, you be faithful as you can, especially with what God has given us. And so that's why we see in our part right here, Jesus, what did He do? He stayed with His nature. He stayed with His character. 
He took off from that place because you know what? It's not my time right now. It will be coming. And I'm all for that, but it's not yet. And so it says, what did he do? He left. He's just doing his Jesus thing. He's healing all their sick. I mean, just people just coming and he's just loving on them and just doing what Jesus does. Warning them not to tell who he was. Because why would, why would, that, why would that happen? Because he knows that's not yet his time. Hasn't come yet. He's got that tunnel vision on what God has for him and it's not that time yet. So don't go telling everybody like the Messiah is here and all this has to happen. Like It's not time for that yet. Let me just work in your life right now. Because he also knows too, uh, if they could start go telling everyone, hey listen, uh, Jesus is healing everybody in the neighborhood. Well the people who want to kill him are going to find out and they're going to come show up. So listen, you want me to do work and stay around longer? I wouldn't exactly tell them quite yet. Not the best timing. And Jesus, of course, being consistent with who He is, fulfilling Bible truths in the process. Because, right, He's got tunnel vision. What does God have for me? Because He had a unique responsibility to come down, pay a price for us, salvation, and live in this life, rise from the dead, conquer death. And at the same time, He had to fulfill in the Old Testament writers like David, Ezekiel, Elijah, Isaiah. He had to fulfill all the stuff that they said at the same time. That's pretty heavy duty. Doesn't that sometimes, like, if you have, like, maybe people talk for you and, like, maybe brag about you, and sometimes that could put some pressure on. Like, geez, I hope I live up to exactly what they're saying right now. He had a little bit of pressure on him. But that's his tunnel vision, his focus. Focusing on God ton of vision of what he has abiding in that word and it says here's what Isaiah had said about Jesus what he had to do it says in verse 18 here's my uh, servant whom I have chosen the one I love and whom I delight I will put my spirit on him who will proclaim justice to the nations he will not quarrel or cry out no one will hear his voice in the streets a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out Till he leads justice to victory, and his name the nations will put their hope. The description of Jesus is really nice. Listen, it's not my time yet, but I still got a work to do. I got to fulfill what God has for me. I can't just kind of sit and just not do anything and just wait for it to happen and show up for me. I got to be following after God. I might not see a lot developing, but I got to follow. I got to be faithful. What did God gift me with? How can I pour into somebody else? Who is around me? Who can I pray for? Right? Like this is like the attitude what builds that tunnel vision that we got to stay in. And the picture of Jesus is great. A bruised reed he will not break. So if we were to go outside, pick up like a stick and, or maybe a stick that's like kind of half broken and bring it in and then kind of hold it it's kind of like limped over. You know, his job, Jesus like takes that thing, you know, He's not like looking forward to just breaking that. He's looking forward to restoring that, growing that back together. So not only does that come out, you know, straight again, but then, you know, some leaves will be shooting off that thing pretty soon. I mean, that's like the business that he's into. Not necessarily coming to just crush us and just hold us up to this perfection bar. And if we don't make it, 
it's a kick in the pants and you'll suffer for a while and it's not exactly his deal. And he said to somebody, you know, is struggling, that smoldering wick that is just kind of just barely making it through life and they know God is important and they're trying to do the best they can but it's just a struggle and, you know, we're supposed to burn bright for Christ but right now it's the embers are just kind of warm and that's really all that's going on and Jesus is looking to come alongside and I don't know if you've had a fireplace you know it's just barely going and you know you got to blow into the bottom of that thing and you know it just kind of comes up like that it exposes that oxygen and it just catches and the fire kind of comes back and that was, that's what Jesus is into that describes his nature like we should feel good about coming to God and coming to Jesus because he's looking to come alongside fix up some bruised reeds and fix up some flames that just aren't burning too bright. So we should be comforted in that for sure. That's not always the view of Jesus and God that everybody has. But that is what Jesus is into and that's what his ministry is. And honestly, at some point, our lives should start to reflect that a little bit at some degree, at some level. We're all different places. We have different backgrounds. But somehow we should be headed towards that trajectory of, hey, listen, where is compassion in my life? Like, do I even care? I mean, that might be, you know, barrier number one. And then it might go from there. Okay, then how much do I care? And then, well, I don't know if I want to talk to them. You know, it's kind of uncomfortable and I've never done that before. And, you know, then God will start to work through things. But we at least have to be headed, kind of going towards that way. So, what we're going to do is um, we're going to sing one last song, Be Thou My Vision, because it's that's like perfect, you know. We want to keep tunnel vision. We've got to have him right at the end of that tunnel. And then we'll come together and uh, we'll close in prayer at the end.